AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day, welcome to episode 83 of AFF On Air. It's the 30th of April, 2022. Later in this episode, I'll chat to Gus Higgins, an Australian who recently visited Argentina using Qantas Frequent Flyer Points. We'll talk about how he booked the trip, his experience travelling from Australia to South America in early 2022, and the unique travel money situation in Argentina, where you can get almost double the amount of pesos by exchanging money at the unofficial exchange rate known as Dollar Blue. But first, let's begin as always with a roundup of the latest Australian airline travel and loyalty program news from the past fortnight. And firstly, Velocity Frequent Flyer has launched an excellent new promotion for Australians who sign up for a new Velocity co-branded credit card by the 31st of May. By applying for an eligible new card that has an annual fee, in addition to the regular sign-up bonus points that come with each card, you'll get to choose from your choice of three at extra rewards. The first choice is 40,000 Velocity points. The second choice is a $300 travel bank credit to use on Virgin Australia flights. Or finally, you can choose to have a six-month trial of Velocity Gold status. If you choose the Velocity Gold status benefit, you'll get the benefits of Velocity Gold when travelling on Virgin Australia and their partner airlines for six months, and you'll also have the opportunity to extend that status for a year by earning at least 80 status credits and taking two eligible Virgin Australia flights within your six-month trial period. For more on this offer and the eligible credit cards, you can have a look at the AFF article called Six Months of Velocity Gold Status with a New Credit Card on australianfrequentflyer.com.au. And this article, like all the others mentioned in this news roundup, is linked to in the uh, podcast show notes. Business travel may be slow to recover following the pandemic, but demand for business and first-class seats on international flights is as high as ever. It seems that many leisure travellers have saved up during the pandemic, um, obviously haven't been spending so much money on travel during this time, and they now have this money that they're prepared to spend on premium cabin airfares, filling in seats that would normally be filled by business and corporate travellers. Many leisure travellers are also now choosing to upgrade to avoid sitting in a crowded economy cabin while COVID-19 remains an ever-present risk. It's an interesting situation because the exact opposite thing happened after the last major crisis to hit the aviation industry around the world, and that was the global financial crisis. In the aftermath of the GFC, airlines were struggling to fill their business class seats, even with people paying for upgrades. And many airlines ended up ripping out their first class cabins altogether around this time due to a lack of demand. Qantas has had to offload a number of passengers as well as bags from its Darwin to London flights over recent days due to runway repair works taking place at Darwin International Airport. The issue is caused by asphalt repair works taking place on Darwin Airport's runway number 29, which has uh, shortened the available runway length by around 995 metres. Because of this, Qantas's ultra-long-haul flights to London have had to be weight-restricted so that the plane can get off the ground in Darwin until the full runway is reopened. Some passengers have been rebooked on short notice on other airlines, and others have been warned by Qantas that their bags may need to be carried on a later flight, so passengers are being instructed to carry important things with them on board in their hand luggage. 
Meanwhile, Qantas this week resumed flights from Brisbane to Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea. Qantas is initially resuming flights on Mondays, Fridays and Sundays on this route, which is flown by Boeing 737-800s. Prior to COVID, Qantas offered daily flights from Brisbane to Port Moresby, as well as regular Dash 8 services from Cairns to Port Moresby. Virgin Australia also previously flew the route from Brisbane to Port Moresby on weekdays, but Virgin has withdrawn from the route permanently. Air New Guinea, the national airline of Papua New Guinea, has maintained flights from Port Moresby to Australia throughout the pandemic. Russia's S7 Airlines has temporarily left the One World Alliance until further notice. S7 Airlines is describing this as a mutual decision, with a notice on its website saying that S7 and One World have agreed to a suspension of the airline's membership in the alliance from the 19th of April until further notice. S7 is a large Russian domestic carrier which is privately owned. IHG Hotels and Resorts has relaunched its loyalty program, previously called IHG Rewards, as IHG One Rewards. There have been no changes to the way that points are redeemed in the new program, but there are significant changes to IHG's elite status tiers. A new Silver Elite tier has been introduced between the base level and gold, while Spire Elite has been renamed to Diamond Elite. IHG has also changed the requirements for earning each tier level. Notably, it's now become a lot harder to earn IHG status based on qualifying points, which is based on the money you spend, rather than on nights. There have also been a few changes to the benefits offered at each tier. Interestingly, late checkout until 2pm, which is subject to availability, is now being offered even to club members, which is the base level, who have no status at all. This was previously only available to Gold Elite members and above. The number of bonus points earned at most tier levels has increased as well, while IHG has introduced a new Reward Night discount benefit for Platinum and Diamond members. Diamond members will also soon have access to a dedicated phone support line. Perhaps one of the most exciting new benefits for Diamond Elite members is the option to choose uh, free breakfast instead of the usual welcome points or drink as the welcome amenity. Unfortunately, though, Gold Elite members will no longer be given any welcome amenity at all. The Australian government has reversed an unfortunate change it made to the Tourist Refund Scheme, or TRS, last year that would have made the scheme virtually useless to most Australians. Uh, Towards the end of last year, the Australian Border Force quietly changed the TRS rules so that the tax refund on any items brought back into Australia would need to be repaid in full, even if the value of the items was under the duty-free concession, which is $900 per adult. But this rule has now changed again. Goods for which TRS have been claimed can now be brought back into Australia and the GST refund no longer needs to be repaid if the total value of all goods being imported is under the duty-free concession. This is how it was uh, prior to the change last year. However, you are also now required to declare any goods being brought back which you've previously claimed a tax refund on by marking yes to question 3 on the incoming passenger card. Virgin Australia has resumed allowing Velocity Gold and Platinum members to access the airline's airport lounges after arriving at their destination. Velocity Platinum and Gold members can now use the Virgin Australia lounge on arrival for up to 60 minutes. However, this is subject to capacity constraints and the airline does reserve the right to deny lounge access if the lounge is full on arrival. But business class passengers and Virgin Australia lounge members who were also entitled to arrivals access before the pandemic are no longer eligible for this benefit. Qantas has finally resumed offering spirits on domestic flights in business class. 
It's also brought back popular beverages such as Bundaberg ginger beer on domestic flights and economy. In a return to the pre-COVID domestic business class service, Qantas has also resumed offering to hang jackets in business class and offering a drink from the bar before the main meal service on longer flights. Spirits had been notably absent from Qantas's domestic business class over the last two years, even though Virgin Australia already brought back spirits in business class in March of last year, and even Jetstar has been selling them already for quite some time in economy class on its flights. And Velocity Frequent Flyer will launch a new promotion tomorrow, offering 15% bonus points when you transfer points from many credit card reward programs, as well as major hotel loyalty programs during the month of May. You can also get up to 10% bonus velocity points when transferring points from flybyers during May. If you have points you would like to transfer to Velocity, make sure you wait at least until tomorrow though, because this promotion is only running during the month of May. It hasn't started just yet at the time of this podcast being released. Velocity offers a similar promotion each May and November. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. Want to learn how to maximise the value in Frequent Flyer programs? If you're new to the Frequent Flyer points game, or perhaps you'd like to perfect your travel hacking strategy, you may be interested in the Frequent Flyer training program offered by our sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions. The Frequent Flyer Solutions training consists of 10 easy-to-follow online courses with topics including credit cards, earning, buying and redeeming points, airline status, hotel and supermarket loyalty programs, and how to find cheap flights. If you don't have hours to sift through online forums, the training explains clearly all of the tricks and strategies you need to know to make the most of your Frequent Flyer points and loyalty programs. For more information, visit frequentflyer.com.au. The last time today's guest was on this podcast was back in episode number 35 in 2020. Gus Higgins had just returned to Australia after getting stuck in Peru's snap lockdown with his girlfriend at the time, along with hundreds of other Australians in March 2020 who then couldn't get back to Australia for quite some time. You may recall that in that episode, Gus and I spoke about getting out of Peru as well as what it was like visiting North Korea a few years ago. Gus recently returned to South America, this time to get married, but it certainly wasn't an easy trip. Gus used Qantas points to get there, but with no direct flights to or from South America at the time, um, a few months ago when he travelled, he had to go the long way around via Europe. To talk about how he booked the trip and what it was like visiting South America in early 2022, Gus joins me again now. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me on. So, yeah, you, we went back to Argentina to get married. Um, this was to the girlfriend that you had at the time when you got stuck in Peru together. I guess, first of all, what was it like being separated for such a long time? Yeah, it was the same girl. Um, Ara is her name. It was difficult, but we'd already been together for about a year and a half uh, long distance before that. So whilst it was obviously challenging not being able to travel, um, we were kind of in the rhythm of, of a long-term relationship, which definitely helped us. Yeah. So you went to Argentina, um, you know, I guess first and foremost to see your fiancé, now, now wife, and you went there using Qantas Frequent Flyer Points, booking a One World Award. I want to talk a little bit about how you earned the points and how you managed to book that trip. So I guess, first of all, how did you manage to earn enough points to go there? You booked in business class as well. 
Yeah, correct. So the points were from um, credit card sign-up bonuses mostly. So obviously throughout COVID, it was easy to accrue and we didn't have um, too many opportunities to use those points. But I have been have been using credit card sign-up bonuses for quite a few years now. So accrued them during COVID and then was able to use them obviously for this flight to make it a little bit easier. Was it easy to book a One World Classic flight reward to South America in business class? It wasn't too easy. As you mentioned, um, we didn't have any option of, of booking to go via Santiago. Like traditionally, that's, that's the route that I've taken every other time I've gone to South America in the, in the past. Um, originally, my plan was to, to go to London first to visit some mates that I hadn't seen since 2019. Uh, and then from there, go to Buenos Aires and then fly home via the U.S., um, to, to visit some work colleagues uh, in, in Texas. Um, unfortunately, I had a few few visa issues to go to the US, um, kind of going back to the last podcast um, with my North Korea visit in 2018. Um, it precluded me from uh, getting an ESTA. So I had to apply for a, a, a full visa as you would if you were from a country that, that isn't part of the visa waiver program like Australia is. Um, but unfortunately, because of COVID, um, the consulates weren't taking uh, interviews in Melbourne and, and Sydney. And so I had to, the only, only opportunity I had to have an interview in Australia for the, the visa was in Perth. But at the time, WA's borders were closed. So that added to the complication of um, organising the or booking the one word award flights because I had to fly via Europe basically there and back. Was it easy to find flights in business class to get there uh, via Europe? No, it wasn't. Um, the availabilities kind of kept changing. I think originally I had a premium economy flight with Qantas um, from Sydney via Darwin to London. And then I'd found premium economy from from um, London through to Buenos Aires uh, via Sao Paulo. Um, and I basically just kept monitoring availability um, as the date got closer. And eventually um, a Malaysian Airlines flight popped up in Brisbane, uh, in business, sorry. Um, and so I called Qantas and just changed that over. Um, on the way back, I flew um, economy with Iberia via Madrid and then with Qatar Airways uh, through Doha, Melbourne in business. Okay. And I guess you had to use premium economy for the leg from London to Buenos Aires and then from Buenos Aires yeah. back to Madrid in economy just because there was no business class seats? Yeah, correct, correct. I kept monitoring those legs as well, but um, I think the the leg from from London to Buenos Aires, n- no option ever came up. And then there were some options from memory to Madrid, but we ran into some problems with with marriage segments when I looked to try and change that coming all the way back through to Melbourne. So I ended up leaving that as it was, um, kind of knowing that even though it was fourteen hours from Buenos Aires to Madrid, um, obviously I was then. In, in business on the way through back to Australia. So it wasn't too bad. Did you have a look at maybe booking business out of Montevideo back to Madrid where there, where there were some seats available? Yeah, I did have a look at that. But um, I guess at the time, you know, we're talking, I mean, what the borders opened in Australia in November. And so I was looking at these bookings in December, January kind of thing to leave at the start of February. And I guess the uncertainty about, you know, going into another country at that time, even though it's just a ferry ride across the river, right, from Buenos Aires to Montevideo in Uruguay, um, I kind of didn't want to add too much risk to the trip planning at the time. Yeah. Um, in the end, it was it was much more less stressful than I thought it was going to be. Um, but before I went, uh, I was kind of conscious of of keeping it as as simple as possible. 
Yeah, for, for those who might not be familiar, um, I, I'm, I know I've talked about it before on the podcast, but the One World Classic Flight Reward is a really good use of Qantas points. You can travel up to 35,000 miles with up to five stopovers, and you can use it to fly around the world, but you obviously don't have to. It's just a, a multi-city award. Getting from Australia to South America via Europe, that obviously takes up quite a lot of miles. Were you pretty close to the 35,000-mile limit? Yeah, I think it was right on, like, 34,000 and something, and to the point where I couldn't strangely book the last leg back to Sydney. I had to book that separately, um, which was a bit of an oddity because it's supposed to go from the start, the ending and the start point supposed to be the same, right? So that was a bit strange. But for example, flying back via London wasn't an option because it was that many more miles than it was to go to Madrid, which is obviously further south. So yeah, it was difficult trying to keep it all within that 35,000 miles. Yeah, definitely. But a good use of points. Yeah, definitely great value. 100%. Yeah, I mean, I think the taxes were 1600 I think, Australian in the end. And, you know, I would have spent, obviously, the equivalent to buy those flights would have been tens of thousands. So 318,000 points and $1,600 in taxes, definitely a good use of Qantas points and to get to somewhere that you actually yeah. needed to go as well. 100%. How were the flights? So you flew, you said Malaysian Airlines business class from Sydney to London and British Airways premium economy London to Buenos Aires, which I think had a, a stop in Sao Paulo and then Iberia yes. economy back to Madrid, Qatar back to Australia in, in business. How, how was the trip? It was, as I said, very smooth. I was expecting to, you know, maybe have some sort of problem somewhere with delayed flights or some sort of requirement that I'd missed sort of thing, but it all went very smoothly. Um, yeah, I flew Malaysian through KL um, I think I got there at about 3 a.m. to to get to Kuala Lumpur Airport, and you know there was there was obviously nobody there. They had one of the lounges I think that was open, the Golden Golden Lounge, I think they're called, um, in Terminal A, but uh, the the bigger one in Terminal C was closed. Um, so I kind of hung around and, until that one opened up and and got some food and a shower there before I went on to London. Um, the flight from from London to to Buenos Aires was probably the longest because sitting in in um, in Sao Paulo on the tarmac whilst they refueled and cleaned the plane etc. That was a little bit painful after having already flown you know overnight um, and not getting a lot of sleep in premium economy. So I was pretty pretty drained once I got to Buenos Aires, but that was okay because I had a good four weeks there anyway. Once I got there, yeah, I've I've never flown British Airways premium economy. What's the what's the product and the service like? It was pretty good. It wasn't. It was probably less than half full, so that obviously helped. Um, it was better than I expected because I'd I'd read mixed reviews on on British Airways in general. Um, but yeah, it was it was pretty smooth. The food was was enough. Um, you know, it wasn't anything amazing, but it was definitely sufficient. Um, it was really just that that um, sitting on you know sitting in Sao Paulo for two hours on the plane, not being able to get off and like stretch legs and whatnot whilst they cleaned and everything. That was probably the worst part but um yeah you're gonna get that anyway right um yeah in in, in every class but it obviously be more helpful to be yeah. in business and at the end well. of the day yeah the premium economy seat is not a life flat bed like you'd get in up the, up the front of the plane yeah exactly yeah i, I kind of struggle on so i can lie down so it's it obviously having booked the award flight it was, wasn't going to cost me anything more but um it was yeah it Just was not available a little bit better than economy but yeah exactly not available in yeah. business okay and then on the way back the way back was pretty smooth. Again, no problems. Um, the I think coming through through Spain, I had to fill out through Madrid. I had to fill out like a health form or something like that just for transiting. Um, but that was all smooth. Um, yeah, I didn't have any problems. The the Iberia flight was all right. Um, the food was you know in economy, so it was it was sufficient again. 
Um, and then once once I got to Madrid and I was with with Cat Airways all the way through to Melbourne, um, that was obviously a lot nicer. And first time in Q Suite um, from Doha to Melbourne, so that was awesome to experience as well. Yeah, so you're a big fan of the Q Suite now, are you? Yeah, I actually just flew back to London um, two days ago as well with with Cata Airways as well in in Q Suite. So um, definitely hard to go back once you've experienced that. Oh, that's awesome. I'll ask you about that a little bit later. But um, just on the on the trip, you went uh, to South America. Did you, how many COVID tests did you have to do? Did you have to get one like every time you flew to a different country at this time? This is in February um, of this year. Yeah, England had just dropped the requirement. Um, as I was about to fly to have one to enter. So I think you only needed to have one on day two, um, just a rapid test. So I had to book that rapid test, which meant kind of getting one sent to an address where you were staying in the UK. So I did that. It was about 10 pounds, Um, but it never turned up to my friend's place. So it was just a bit of a ticking a box sort of exercise. Um, And then to enter Buenos Aires, I needed to have a PCR test. So I got that, um, when I was in London, it was about a hundred pounds, I think. So it was quite expensive, but it is what it is, I suppose. Um, and then to enter Buenos Aires, I needed that. My obviously vaccination certificate. You need to have health health insurance as well. Obviously, they're worried if you get sick and you can't cover your own expenses there. So I had that, and I had like an entry form as well. But um, when I checked in in London to to fly to Buenos Aires, the lady from British Airways didn't really know a lot of those requirements. She didn't know about the travel insurance needed. And the um, the uh, in entry form as well, so that was quite funny. And when I got to immigration in Buenos Aires in Argentina, they he asked me if I'd been vaccinated, and I said yes, and went to show him the vaccination form or uh, vaccination um, certificate from Australia. And he said, "Oh no, don't worry about that," and and just proceeded to stamp my passport. So all those four requirements for entering Argentina, and they didn't even check any of them. But I think. The advice there would just be be over prepared and and you should be fine. Yeah, better to be over prepared than under prepared for sure. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess now like the UK has dropped all entry requirements. I'm not sure about Argentina, but then Australia as well. I guess at the time you would have needed a COVID test to come back to Australia, and that's that's no longer required either. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I think Argentina is still the same. I believe um, with the entry requirements, but yeah, Australia. I took a took a rapid test in Buenos Aires the day before I left, and that was that was very smooth. It was like thirty Australian dollars, I think, and um, yeah, very smooth process. So that was good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and I guess now. Um it's been quite good news for people who need to travel from Australia to South America that Latam Airlines is back flying from Sydney to Santiago via Auckland. Um, That hopefully might make things a little bit easier next time you need to go to South America, right? Yeah, it definitely will. Obviously, that's um, kind of, you know, one flight to Santiago is very helpful and then it connects to lots of places in South America, including Argentina and Buenos Aires. So, that will be very helpful and we're hoping that my wife can come and visit later this year. So that's hopefully the route that she'll be taking. Yeah. Unfortunately, you can't use it on a One World Award because um, Latam's left the One World Alliance a couple of years ago, but you can still use Qantas points if there's availability. Have you had a look to see if there's much availability on that route? Yeah, I've been keeping an eye on it, but um, I haven't seen too much pop up yet. I think I think uh, originally there was some availability and then when the flights got confirmed, they all kind of got snapped up quickly. Um, I think I saw some in September maybe coming back from Santiago, but um, just have to keep an eye out and see what happens when Qantas eventually start that route again as well. Yeah, I've heard they're currently, well, they're currently scheduling to resume flights. Qantas, this is from Sydney to Santiago direct at the end of October, but um, they have mm-hmm. pushed that start date back a few times in the past. So 
hopefully this time they'll they'll stick to that and hopefully there'll be a few award seats available as well but yeah it doesn't seem to be much at the moment yeah hopefully um i suppose it's still you can still book those and and refund them right up until is it end of june i think for for award flights so yeah so for still that option actually that thanks for bringing that up yeah the Qantas fly flexible policy um actually for domestic flights it ends today so uh, ah. for domestic bookings um yeah you can only cancel uh, actually can- cancel to get a, a full refund for domestic bookings if you do that and you're traveling by today for domestic flights. But for international, it is available a little, little bit longer. So until the if a booking's made until the end of June and then for travel dates up until the end of December this year, you can cancel mm. uh, or change with no fees. So that's, yeah. that's handy at least. That was helpful for me when I booked my flights for February because it was easy to, to sort of reserve something and then chop and change or, or cancel it altogether if need be. Yeah, definitely. And so you spent four weeks in Argentina. Uh, how, how was it like on the ground in Argentina and, you know, in the context of COVID and just generally um, in, in February of 2022? And would you recommend a trip there at the moment? It was more or less back to normal. I mean, mask wearing was still still obviously um, mandated in indoor settings. So, you know, public transport and going into any shops and whatnot. Um, and it seemed to be followed, the rules seemed to be followed quite quite well there like there was you know almost everyone that I saw going into shops and whatnot had masks on so it seems to be you know integrated into the day-to-day culture now um obviously they were hit quite hard there as well so I suppose that's a you know it's not hard to do that to have their way of life back um but yeah we were we were going out to you know bars and restaurants and movies and stuff and um it felt pretty much like everyday life uh, again um after we got married, we went down to Patagonia for five nights to Bariloche and it was it was really busy down there. I mean, a lot of domestic tourism. Um, the Argentinian government made a big point at the end of 2021 to promote domestic tourism. They had a bit of a program going where if you booked domestic travel for 2022, um, they were giving up to 50% um, sort of rebates in the form of like a travel card that you could use in other restaurants and whatnot and hotels in Argentina. So we took advantage of that a little bit. Um, the caveat there is that you have to be a resident there to take advantage of that. But that's all to say that domestic travel was quite um, quite busy. And when we did when we did go outside Buenos Aires, there was a lot of Argentinians who were travelling around, especially down in Patagonia. I did meet some Americans and some other nationalities, but the majority were people who were travelling from Buenos Aires. Um, and I guess like Australia, people have been, you know, um, reprioritizing their their holidays for more domestic travel until things are more clear internationally. Yeah, for sure. Did you enjoy the trip? Yeah, I did. And to answer your question, I definitely would recommend um, travel there at the moment. I mean, it's yeah. I as I said, I was very cautious before and a bit little bit anxious about getting stuck somewhere or you know requirement changing or something that was misread because obviously there's lots of different advice um, going around. Um, but as I said, being overprepared and, and just continuing to research, um, you know, and having contingencies in place if you if you do, uh, you know, if you were unfortunate enough to contract COVID and have to quarantine somewhere. Um, but yeah, I definitely recommend it. I mean, the, it seems like places like Buenos Aires and, and London and whatnot are obviously getting right back to normal now. So um, def- definitely very accessible. 
That's awesome. Since we're talking about Argentina, one of the peculiar things about traveling to Argentina is the currency situation. Um, like, I'm, I'm sure you, you would have seen this when you were there. Like, the there's an official exchange rate and used by the Argentinian government, but there's also like a, a, mm. a black market, I guess, exchange rate, which is totally different. What's the situation yeah. there with travel money, and how did you access Argentinian pesos while you were there? Yeah, so obviously got like firsthand experience with my wife living there as to the economic hardship that the country's going through. Their inflation's, I was looking at it just before we spoke, their inflation's running at something like 50% a year at the moment. So I remember when I first went there in 2019, like one US dollar was about 40 pesos. Um, And now I think when I went in February, it's about 100 pesos. So obviously, uh, they're getting they're getting hammered by that inflation and it's really devaluing the currency. Um, so the government's actually officially, if you want to change pesos to US dollars, they have a cap of $200 a month that you can change. Um, and they also charge like a tax on top of that. I think it's 30%, but I can't remember. But all that's to say is they're trying to disincentivize people from selling pesos, right? Um, and so hence the black market that you mentioned has has taken off. So we were swapping US dollars for about double the rate, around 210 um, pesos per, per US dollar. Um, my, my wife had told me about this before I went over there and told me to bring US dollars, but I didn't quite grasp the extent of it because obviously it's still a good exchange rate officially for us um, with, you, with using Australian dollars and using a credit card or whatever when you're there. Um, but I would certainly advise that if you're comfortable, you know, carrying a bit of extra US dollars, um, you can pretty much save 50% if you are comfortable obviously carrying that and then, and then um, exchanging that on the black market there. Um, my wife's in a WhatsApp chat where there's, you know, people from her university or other friends and stuff that are live there who are always wanting to buy US dollars because of that cap that I mentioned before. I mean, it's the only real way for them to to save against inflation, unfortunately. So um, you know, we when we wanted to sell money, she would just comment in that chat and say, you know, we've got 100 US dollars or whatever, and we'd someone would come around or we'd meet them or whatever. Uh, most of them, a lot of them were her friends as well. Um, I know that if you don't have that local knowledge, you can go to one of the streets there, Florida Avenue, and you'll hear people yelling, cambio, cambio, which means like change, I change. Um, and you can then swap swap the, the US dollars for, for pesos at that unofficial black market rate, which was about yeah double at the time. Yeah, and I've seen that you can check what the kind of the unofficial rate is. Um, it's called Dollar Blue, right? And there's like a website that yeah. actually lists the unofficial rate. Yeah, I haven't used it myself um, because, yeah, obviously had a local there and we were just doing it um, – we were just doing it via the text messages and whatnot in the WhatsApp chat. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's, as I said, if you, if you feel comfortable carrying a bit of extra cash, like I probably should have taken more, to be honest, and, you know, use it to pay some of the hotels and stuff like that. Um, we could have saved more, but it definitely is is a, a great saving if you're comfortable carrying that and changing it on the black market. And I've heard, like, is this correct that because um, there's like the older style US notes with uh, they call them like small heads, I think. And then the, the newer mm. style US banknotes have the big heads and those are the ones correct. in more demand. So you get a better rate for them. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, correct. So they always say Cara Grande, which is big head um, because they want they <laughs> want the notes with the bigger head because they're newer. And, um, you know, it's it's the same when you go to places like Africa and stuff, right? They want the newer notes and not the older ones that that could be fraudulent and whatnot and then are harder to the newer ones are obviously harder to to fake so yeah. um yeah that was funny i mean i think most of the ones that i had were 
were newer. But yeah, I guess that's something to keep in mind as well, that you might get a slightly better rate um, or it might be slightly easier to take those as well. Did uh, shops and things accept US dollars as well, or did you really just have to exchange them to pesos? No, nah, it was all pesos. I think like the property market there, all the all the apartments and houses and stuff were all sold and bought in US dollars um, and definitely advertised in US dollars at the real estate agents. But um, yeah, we didn't actually spend US dollars anyway. You just have to change it to pesos. All right. Okay. Well, just finally, you mentioned before that you flew this week um, uh, back to London. You flew from Brisbane to London via Doha with Qatar Airways, again in Q-Suites. How was that trip? It was good. Yeah, it was, as I said, like um, quite addicted to Q-Suite now. It's a diff- definitely a different experience. Um, I got talking to one of the flight hostesses and she was saying, you know, people who start who fly in, in Q-Suite find it hard to go back and I can definitely agree with that. Um, it was Brisbane airport was the first time I've actually flown out internationally from Brisbane airport. And it was, it was pretty quiet. Um, there was no lounge access when I was there. I think my flight was at 10 40 PM and the last Qantas flight was out at about 6 30 or 6 40, I think. So that meant that the, the, the Qantas lounge was closed and therefore there was no other one world, uh, lounge to access with, with Qatar Airways. Um, I think there was a Plaza premium lounge, but you had to pay to get into there. So that was probably the only downside, but I mean, other than that, it was it was quite smooth leaving Brisbane and, and getting to Doha. I was I did arrive in Doha at I think six a.m., which is kind of peak hour for the lounge and stuff, so it was quite busy. Waits for showers and waits for um for the restaurant as well. So if you can avoid some of those peak times, um, if obviously we didn't have a lot of choice going out of Australia, but um if you can, then that would be advisable. And then getting into London was, was smooth, no requirements or anything. And obviously being Australian, we just walked straight through um, with the smart gates. Yeah. In, in Brisbane, did Qatar Airways offer you a meal voucher or something since there was no lounge available? No, they didn't. I actually asked um, about, you know, anything being available and they sort of said, no, you know, you can pay to go to Plaza, Plaza Premium or I think there's one restaurant open there. So um, no, there was nothing available. Uh, I think I had about an hour wait, so it wasn't too bad because I knew it was obviously quieter, so I didn't want to get there too early. But yeah, no, there was no alternative arrangements. No worries. But as you say, like it seems like it was a pretty seamless trip, and no, no longer any COVID test requirement uh, required. Nothing extra that you need to do to get into London. So things are getting back to normal. It's a good sign. Yeah, it definitely felt closest to being back to normal pre-COVID. Just wearing the mask, I guess, is the only thing that's left, really, which is not too hard to do. Awesome. Well, Gus Higgins, thanks very much for joining me again on the AFF On Air podcast and sharing your experience with me. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. That's all for episode 83 of AFF On Air. Thanks again to my guest, Gus Higgins, and thank you for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips, and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels.